Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, it is Friday night. Um, another just raucous Friday in America. <laughs> we all uh, stay home and party in our houses. Hey, hey, hey. You say that now, but it's Friday, Brian. Hey. Uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Friday. I will never get tired of these. Oh, my God. We, we talk I, about we talked about this last night with Grant Goldberg. If you haven't uh, seen or heard that show, you can find it on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe uh, to the, to the uh, Late Night Happy Hour podcast. You can scroll through our Twitter feed if you've got a little more time to kill. However you want to do this, but that's actually one of the things that we got into is just the Bernie memes keep coming and they do not get old at all. I love them. I absolutely do not get sick of them. You you can just inject Bernie into my veins, and I will never say enough. It's so much fun. Just it's delightful. It's so frivolous and delightful and fun, and it's it, we don't get a lot of that. Um, hey. that <laughs> um, and that, so. That uh, yeah, so th that that's been going on. So we uh, we were uh, supposed to tonight. Welcome Andy Lou and Sam Esfendiari from the Light Years Podcast, the uh, Great Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, they from up in the Bay. Talk a little basketball. Do some other stuff with those dudes. Unfortunately, they had to uh, cancel for tonight. We're going to reschedule them maybe for next week or the week following. So we'll get those guys back on quickly, but still plenty to talk about today. Um, obviously, 15th anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81 point game, a game that Andy and I were both lucky enough to be there for. Um, so much great stuff that was put out today in honor of that. And of course, um, Tuesday, I believe it is Tuesday, is the one-year anniversary, the 26th, is the one-year anniversary of the, the, the crash. Um, and so this week really is going to be um, an emotional one in LA. Yeah. And so we'll get to that. We'll get to uh, Shaq versus Donovan Mitchell um, in a sec. And But we want to start actually with Hank Aaron who died today, 86 years old, um, just a, an icon and a baseball legend. Um, the, he's, um, he, he's someone, Andy, who I think, and I always think this is fascinating. He, he became known for one thing, you know, the, the home run record, 755, breaking uh, Babe Ruth's record in 1974 when he hit his 715th home run. To the point, in a lot of ways, I think it overshadowed, and then obviously as a as a as a civil rights icon as well. Silly as it seems, odd as it seems, like it became easy, I think, in some ways, to forget just how dominant a player he was and a presence in baseball, how dominant he was and how good he was for so long. The numbers with Hank Aaron are staggering. Yeah, I, I've seen a few people who who really know the game. I, I apologize if I'm if I'm misattributing anything, um, but I, I these are just very good people that I believe I heard talk about this or saw video presentation stuff like that. Uh, Clinton Yates, Tim Kirchin, ESPN, um, mm -hmm. among others, just talking about how incredible his career was just on the field. Like, forget yes. everything else. Forget everything else that encompassed Hank Aaron's career which made it you know, incredibly memorable in ways that we are going to talk about. But just the consistency and longevity of what he achieved you know, as a baseball player 
you know, into his forties, like, you know, the stretch from broken in 1954 with Milwaukee finished in 1976 with Milwaukee. And and this was after, right. And this was after playing um, a few seasons in the Negro leagues before uh, baseball was uh, beginning to integrate and just the ability to achieve at, at such a high level from start to finish, you know, it, it brings to mind what we're seeing right now with LeBron. You know, just the, just the incredible consistency. And, you know, I don't know, I don't think baseball history to the same degree that I think, at least I know NBA history in terms of, I am very confident in saying that what LeBron is doing right now is unprecedented. Like there, there is no template to figure out what he's Correct. doing. Um, I don't know with Hank Aaron if there's anybody quite like him, but I'm very confident in saying the there no. weren't many. The answer is okay. no. Um, and so, and I, but this gets to, I, I, I'm not a baseball, I'm not Bill James, but I, I, you know, I grew up, I love the numbers and I mean, all this kind of stuff. And I, I saw, I ran across this column from Jason Stark at the athletic who obviously, you know, covered baseball with ESPN for years. And, and, and it's just a great baseball writer. And he puts into, we'll, we'll tweet it out, but it, he puts into this column, just the context of, of Hank Aaron, that consistency. Here's a good one. Hank Aaron's OPS in his twenties, Andy. 947. Hank Aaron's OPS in his 30s, 948. Uh, so that's pretty good. Um, Hank Aaron had a 161 career OPS plus. Um, that is staggeringly good. Mike Trout, who is, is incredibly talented, considered widely to be the best uh, hitter in baseball, maybe even the best player, has had one season like that. That was Hank Aaron's Average over 20 seasons between 1955 and 1974. Here's a number that I find completely staggering. Andy, do you want to guess the amount of times uh, in his entire career that Hank Aaron had a season in which he struck out 100 times? Zero? Zero. Zero times did Hank Aaron strike out 23 straight seasons with under 100 strikeouts and over 300 plate appearances. I mean, just, and then you start adding, you know, the number, you know, 20, 20 straight home uh, seasons with under a hundred uh, strikeouts and 20 home runs and all the, you start piling up these numbers. He's career leader in RBIs, career leader in total bases, career leader in extra base hits, third in hits overall, second and third in games. It's, and, and because he was so dominant and, and, and what these, this, this individual moment of him breaking the the record of of Babe Ruth was so important. You forget this stuff. I mean it's like it's everybody knows Hank Aaron's good. I don't think most people myself included just remembered how good and that's again before you get to the the other stuff that that you know ultimately is even more significant. And I, I just it is a fascinating uh dynamic that happens when a person be a person of note becomes no matter how impressive they are becomes sort of noted for one thing. Well, especially um, too yeah. because everything that surrounded that one thing, like it, it's not simply that he broke one of the biggest records in baseball, and baseball is the sport that by far cares the most about mm-hmm. its records, and, and those records have been documented and lionized really longer than any other sport and has more of a tradition built in to American 
sports culture just because baseball has I think the longest legacy of any any organized sport of nothing else or any team sport of nothing else but really I I think if you look at America as a sports country on balance you know baseball has really dominated so so that record in particular has meant so much but also you take into account the context of breaking that record and what it meant in terms of the issues of race in this country and the hero that he became for it, but also the villain for a lot of people that he became and the backlash that he suffered and the death threats. And I mean, you know, he would be getting letters sent to his house. Yeah, he kept them all. He kept them all. He, He kept them all. And these letters were filled with the most vile things you can possibly imagine, you know, beyond just wishing, you know, beyond just threatening death, just the entire, everything being said to him. And then, you know, there comes the moment where he actually breaks the record. And even then, you know, we're, we're going to get into this because I know you have the, the moment queued up. Yep. Even that moment is a reminder of the tension that he was dealing with upon finally breaking that record. Like it, 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 we'll we'll talk about this, but it, it's something that watching it now still actually makes makes me tense on behalf of Hank Aaron watching it. Yeah, and so let, let's let's play because what's one of the things that I think is so kind of wonderful and memorable about, about this 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 clip is that uh, the, it was the, this this moment happened against the Dodgers, and it actually is Vin Scully, you know, the, the most famous, most con- consistently played version of this um, of this moment is Vin Scully's call. And so that's what we have here. Um, so not only do you get to see Hank Aaron, you also have the great fortune that this moment was handled by someone like Vin Scully. And a standing ovation for Henry Aaron. So the confrontation for the second time. Aaron walked in the second inning. He means the tying run at the plate now. But we'll see what Downing does. Al at the belt delivers, and he's low. Ball one. And that just adds to the pressure. The crowd booing. Downing has to ignore the sound effects and stay a professional in pitchers' game. One ball and no strike. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. 
he threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. And so, it to me, there's so much in there that I think is is just fascinating, and you know, in, in, obviously, you know, the, the brave moment for 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 Hank Aaron, but also I think to for Vin Scully to acknowledge the reality of that of, the, yeah. of what was happening there. I mean that 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 he vocalizes the significance of of a black man breaking the record in the South of a, a getting a standing ovation of breaking that record in the South of Babe Ruth, iconic baseball hero. Um, it needed to be said. And I'm not sure every broadcaster in 1974 would have said that. Well, especially too. I mean, 1974, you're talking about a period that had, I recognize the irony of saying this right now in this particular moment, everything that's been experienced you know, over the past few years and frankly, the past couple weeks, but the racial tension in this country at that time was very high. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, th this was not a, even in, into taking account the entirety of American history, this was not an, an, a relatively easy time to make that statement. Like th this was not like, say the mid, uh, I don't know, 2010s where people were talking, uh, you know, about, post-racial America, you know, post-Obama's president. You no, know, right? we were definitely in racial America. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. I don't think so, we've ever, I mean, I think what we've all learned is we haven't really emerged from that. No, but no. But, whatever it was, like this, whatever, there's pre-racial America, during racial America, and post-racial America. That there, is there, really during. Yes, and there was also, the, I mean, this is a moment where, <laughs> this was not a moment where we ever even uh, pretended otherwise, but that moment where those two men, run, those two white men, Mm -hmm. run onto the field at, like we talked about before, Hank Aaron breaking the record on the heels of getting literally hundreds of death threat letters alone. Mm -hmm. Forget everything else, just the it's letters. Security. They had to put security around him. That moment where they run on the field, like I actually showed that to my wife today because she really, she didn't know the significance of all this and she didn't know Hank Aaron's history. Like she didn't actually know that he had broken Babe Ruth's record. And it reminded me yet again that every time I watch that, Brian, I feel angsty and tense, even though I know it's a happy outcome, even though I know they were running on the field because they wanted to congratulate, you know, one of the truly great athletes of all time ever mm -hmm. in American history. I still get this sense of fear and dread because you know what's going through Hank Aaron's head. Yeah. He's at talked this about moment it. when it's happened. He talked about it. He, he, the, it was it was terrifying. He had no idea why those people were there and what they were planning to do. And that's that's why he you know so obviously you know shrugged because he was you know it, it was frightened. It was, you know and 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 those guys, I, I think I, I'm I think they've talked about it. The, the the men who ran on the field. First of all, how the hell do you let that happen? But second of all, <laughs> with all that security, you had one job. Redcoats. I mean, come like, on, you know, the red the Staples Center Redcoats would never have allowed that to happen. Um, <laughs> Post game chat, it looked like Bruce Jenner running out. There. I mean, like everyone yeah, a little bit Jenner back then. But like, it's it's that is true. Everybody in the seventies looked like Bruce Jenner. It's it's like just if you happen to be good looking enough, you looked like Bruce Jenner. It's one of those things where the you know they they didn't understand 
why that, you know, I don't think they thought about like, you know, let's run up and congratulate him. Like people, why that could be terrifying. Um, and you know, it speaks to so many of the, of the issues that we talk about now in terms of, of privilege and understanding and all those, and all those, and all those moments, um, where people learn to understand the impact that they have. It's, you know, we just went through Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King day this week. We had that. It was this week or last week. I, I apologize for losing track of my dates. But one of the things that I think that is that we we are more consistently reminded of now, properly, is that while today we all look back at Martin Luther King Jr. and say, you know, recognize who he was and and how significant and and how meaningful and how brave all of these things line up every adjective and superlative and 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 things that he deserves. He was at the time hated by so many people. He was one I mean, of the most disliked human beings in America. I mean, um, getting assassinated is a pretty good clue. But that. even, but like, you know, statistically I, speaking, like was, no, I, no, it, wasn't, I it wasn't like a, a, a lone gunman took down no, America's no. most popular man. Like he was reviled yes. in many circles and Muhammad I mean, Ali, we look back, you know, Muhammad Ali, who we look at now as an icon, as you know, who became beloved at the time when he was doing the things that we love him for today was reviled. Well, I, okay. So, the, the commonality, I mean, you were talking about the way just, you know, a lot of American citizens felt about either uh, Hank Aaron breaking that record or Muhammad Ali or uh, Martin Luther King, different various civil rights activists um, that we've seen, whether in sports, outside of sports, but specifically Ali and Hank Aaron. I mean, I, excuse me, uh, Ali and Martin Luther King Jr. Forget just how a lot of Americans felt about them. The government did not like them. Correct. Our our government was not supportive of either one. Our government was hostile towards yes. both of them. And so it's just it, it is. It 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 and they puts, become after a while avatars. They become yes. avatars for what makes white, frankly, what makes white people comfortable talking about race and talking about some idea of racial harmony, as if everybody always appreciated at the time Martin Luther King's nonviolent stance towards protest. Right. It's that as it's, if that it's, was celebrated in the moment. It was not. Or it, it was, but it, 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 the all kinds of things. You know, the the you pick you pick and choose your words uh, to quote from Martin Luther King and you know all yes. of you know, or Muhammad Ali. All these things happen, and so you know the the it, I think it's it's just to me the the significance of today was obviously you know in the times that we're in, remembering how impactful he was as a person, um, and those things are incredibly important. But it's just it was also a reminder of like God. Damn, he was good at baseball. Yeah. Like really excellent, amazing at baseball in ways that just go beyond Hammer and Hank, the home run guy. Like, as as Jason Stark again pointed out in this column, had Hank Heron never hit a home run, like not once in the the 20-something years that he played, he still would have had 3,000 hits. <laughs> he is he was it's just like that like numbers like that are are staggering and in baseball's a numbers game. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's funny. Like, you know, and I, as we start to kind of move from this into what we're going to see this week with Kobe and, you know, talking about 81 and stuff like that, like 
you you said you had a chance you like stood in a line at an espn thing like you know where hank aaron was there and i i you know i'll let you tell a story here in a second but like i we've been we've done this enough we've been around people um occasionally spoken to them i've interviewed wayne gretzky you know you we've both interviewed kareem who we as we've talked about on the show is we may be the goat of humans uh, he's just yes. like when you yes, put it is. all together well he's like, the goat of impressive human beings yes like he, in terms of just pure impressiveness yes kareem is the goat like i don't kareem. know like I, there aren't a lot of people who have sort of compiled the resume that kareem has compiled if kareem had never picked up a basketball in his life mm -hmm. his career would have been noteworthy just in what he accomplished as an author like he, like he would end up like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the most celebrated authors of yeah. like the, the mid 20th and 21st like, century. You know, we'd listen, we'd remember him like we do Stanley Crouch, you know, like this great, uh, uh, you know, uh, jazz historian of jazz and, yeah. you know, you know, logger of, of 20th century culture and all the, and so, and then you add the fact that he, you know, is, is arguably from. Uh, and end point to end point, the greatest basketball player who ever lived and invented the sky hook. And like, just that would have been enough. As we say on Passover, Andrew, Dianu, mm -hmm. just the sky hook, Dianu, <laughs> like that in itself. So like, it, it, it is a, it is an amazing thing to just be sometimes in the presence of people and you can kind of feel like, and you were saying like Hank Aaron was just like that guy. Yeah. I mean, you and I, as you said, we've encountered a lot of truly great athletes and, and being around them, like even now there will still be times where I can feel a thrill or an excitement. Like I, I'm not jaded to the point where I, I'm above that. And you know, there, there have been times where inside I geek out a little bit. Like I remember I met Tony Hawk at, uh, I want to say the ESPYs and mm -hmm. you know, the 13 year old in me thought that was just incredible. Like just, you know, it's, it's Tony Hawk. You know, a, the first real sit-down Q&A I ever did was for the LA Times with, with Kareem. And that was a very intimidating prospect to be doing to be doing that with Kareem on, oh, you know, a lot of levels. He is so much smarter than you. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, just so much smarter. But there, there have only been two times that I recall, you know, by, by virtue of doing this job, where I've ever been in the vicinity of an athlete, where I've been so overwhelmed, like just so overwhelmed at the idea of, oh my God, that's blank. And he is within handshaking distance of me. He is talking and I can hear him. He, I could start a conversation with him potentially that mm -hmm. close that it was overwhelming to the point of paralysis. And one of them was Muhammad Ali. Um, I was in, in the red carpet for the ESPYs doing the press thing, and he was talking to the reporter next to me. And I had requested him and didn't end up getting him. And in the end, I decided it's actually for the best that I didn't because I'm at, not actually sure I would have been able to get anything out. Oh, like, hi, Mr. Rally. I, I, eh? I, I mean, really, I was staggered at the idea of I'm standing next to mm -hmm. fucking Muhammad Ali. Like the, and the other time... I don't remember the exact event. I want to say it was something ESPN, but I was in a room where Hank Aaron was pretty close to me. And that's the only other time I remember just being like, Jesus, that that's Hank Aaron. Mm -hmm. Like, like knowing the magnitude of, of Hank Aaron's career and, and all the different reasons 
that it mattered. Being that close to somebody like that was legitimately jaw-dropping for me like that. Like really to the point of, I'm not sure what I would have done had I even had the opportunity to talk to either of them. Like those are the only two guys that I can ever recall feeling like that in terms of, and, and again, we have met a lot yeah, we have. And of we, great and athletes. It's, it's one of the cool things about this, this job, but like I, it's one reason that I, I had enormous amount of respect and you know, there was, there was tremendous theater with Kobe Bryant, like in, and it was very self-aware in a lot of ways. There was a lot of mythology made. We saw all kinds of stuff we've talked about, but the one of the, the many things about him were very genuine. And one of them was the notion of, I'm going to play if I can play because this may be the one time that anybody ever gets to see me. And most people, again, we're lucky. We, we, this is what we do for a living. We get to sometimes physically meet people for, for a lot of people going to see Clayton Kershaw, going to see, um, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, whoever it might be, if you get that opportunity is your kind of encounter with, with that kind of celebrity. And, Kobe took that incredibly seriously. LeBron takes that incredibly seriously. The idea that these people might, this might be their only chance. And I tell people all the time, like Laker games are really fucking expensive. I get it. it save up, go see LeBron, go see Clayton Kershaw pitch. Even now he's not quite what he was obviously, but you want to be able to say, and you know, to your kids and bring them along with you. Like, so your kids can grow up and say, yeah, I saw that guy. I saw him play. I saw him pitch. I saw, you know, because if your kids grow up sports fans, or even if they don't, like the the, the ability to see great—I mean, just I have I, many of these guys understand the impact that they have. They understand the impact that a handshake has, a photo, um, whatever it might be, and that is so difficult to do when everyone, well-meaning, everyone wants to. Hey, can I shake? Just, I just want to shake your hand. And it doesn't, when one person wants to shake your hand or say something nice to you, or it doesn't seem like a big deal until you realize that the world has like billions of people in it and they all want to do the same thing. And so to be, to be able to have the awareness of what your presence and what a handshake or a, a, an acknowledgement does for quote unquote normal, regular people. It, it is, it's, it's, it's an admirable thing. That's, that's my, my rant. I, we don't give these guys enough credit for that. It's not no, even the superstars. It's the, you know, regular guy who plays in the NBA kind of thing. It's you know what? I don't even care. Before, before we go to 81, that, that reminds me of a great story that Troy Daniels told me last year with the Lakers. Uh, I, I wrote a piece about how he, Quinn Cook and Jared Dudley did a really good job during the season of just staying ready and yes. the power of professionalism. And Troy Daniels told me how he, his pregame warmups, which are actually pretty fun to watch with a lot of players. Like, you know, guy like Steph, if you're ever going to a uh, Lakers Warriors game, Clippers Warriors game, whatever, whatever city you're in and you get the opportunity to get there early, get there early because watching Steph warm up in and of itself is worth the price of admission. I'd said that about Nash too. Yeah, Nash was the same way. But uh, Troy Daniels told me that, you know, as somebody that knew he likely, more likely than not, was not going to be playing 
you know, with the Lakers, but, you know, over the course of his career, he's been like, you know, a 10th or 11th man. He used to treat his warmups as basically a show that he was putting on for fans. Like he's like, those people are there. They're watching this essentially pregame thing, this pregame ritual, these pregame workouts. I'm going to put on a show for them. Like I, I consider that part of my job. And I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it. I've never heard another player talk about it that way before. But he was like, you know, th this is also, you know, he, he also noted too that a lot of scouts watch these workouts and it's a good way to make sure you stay employed. Sure. But he he thought of it as theater for the fans. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's like another just awareness by these guys, you know, recognizing what it means to be seen by a lot of fans in a yeah. lot of different ways. Yeah, and it's it's we I we we should give these guys a little more credit. Um just generally speaking, we should give them more credit for uh than we do uh as as a sort of athlete watching culture. Um this is I think, you know, it is today is the 15th anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81 point game. Um and I honestly can think of no better way to at least start that conversation than by playing this because good god it's funny. <laughs> Kaylin. Oh no. Hey Cole, how you doing? How retirement treating you? It's great, man. It's great. Just uh, you know, a little writing, a little investing. Nice. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw the thing on Twitter about your statue. Uh, you know, I don't pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, I figured that. Me either. A drink, Mr. Bryant? Yeah, I'll have a uh, a, a vodka martini. How many hours would you like? 81. <laughs> really? No, nah, man, I'm just playing. Just two. Joke for him. He gets it. <laughs> he gets it. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. Um it's God, it's Kobe was underrated for funny. He was he was very good at that stuff. Kobe was legitimately funny. It's like he had a really, really good sense of humor that did not get acknowledged enough because everybody understandably focused more on the black mama persona. And in a lot Who's, of ways, that's what Kobe that wanted. Apple commercial with. Um, get out of my trailer. Oh, that was with Michael B. Jordan. Right, Michael B. Jordan. That's, that's not, not your plum. That's not your that's not your plum. That's not your plum. I mean, that's he plum. Kobe was I mean, oh my god, remember the uh broken ankles, the ankles insurance commercial Those that he did for his shoes, the low tops that yes. Brilliant. I mean, that was brilliant. That was also before people were doing viral stuff. Like Kobe was ahead of the curve with recognizing the possibilities with viral. Um, yeah, completely. And you know, so it, it is. It's one of these sort of weird, kind of fate twisty sort of things that eighty one, which is this, um, you know, one of the more significant moments in basketball history. Forget just you know Kobe's life in history. Just and now, you know, the, the anniversary of that every year will be followed four days later, five days later, whatever it is, by the anniversary of his death. Um, but, you know, 81, it, it's sort of the extension of, of the conversation, Andy, we were just having about the, the, the luck and the, and the good fortune of having happened to be somewhere when something amazing happens. Um, 15 years ago, why were we even at that game? Do you remember? Is our job? 
No, but who were we? Was it, who we were, we were with the LA Times? We were with the Times at that point. Yeah, that was our first season covering the team for the LA Times. Fuck world. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't even remember where we were there for because we used to do. We would be at games for ESPN. We'd be you know, like there were reasons we would show up. I just wasn't. I didn't even remember why we were there. Um, obviously, it was our job. <laughs> we, well, we, I mean, the, we didn't sneak in through like a hole in the plywood. No, but I, I mean, just, you, you, I, just, phrased, I forgot literally why okay, we. Were you there. phrased the question like it was this big mystery. I'm like, <laughs> did we write a did we write a post game blog about it? Was it good? We wrote multiple. <laughs> we wrote like, were they good? Did, I think did anyone actually, read remember, does, does anybody out there remember? I mean, shouldn't we have saved a copy of that? Like. I didn't yeah. think about it. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, at the I time, know, it's probably I figured the internet was forever. I was going to say, you think the internet is forever. You also think at the time, oh, we'll be, you know, oh, we'll be doing it forever. Yeah. I mean, whatever. But uh, surely they'll put this post up when they induct us into the journalism hall of fame. I just, I mean, the way you phrased that, it sounded like it was a big mystery. I'm like, <laughs> what were we doing? <laughs> we didn't want to get Wait, fired. <laughs> That's why we were there. God, I don't remember. I remember the, the post that I wrote. <laughs> Or, <laughs> yeah, I remember the post that I wrote. Yeah, for the Dodgers uh, when we were doing the Dodger blog on Beatles Day, where I wrapped in, I believe it was sixty-four titles of Beatles songs into my post-game report. I actually, do I remember know. that. I don't remember even. I don't remember writing a single word after eighty-one. I that actually, showed me why I am not going to be in the Journalism Hall of Fame. I actually remember. Uh, a headline that you wrote because again we wrote a lot off 81 but i remember a headline you wrote just because it was funny and it was kobe bryant and brian cook combined for 83 points <laughs> to beat the raptors and they uh, did yes uh, truth what's so funny though about 81 is our reaction at the game in real time because in the beginning the larger story of that game felt like the lakers were going to shit away a game against a really shitty Raptors team. The Raptors were they terrible. Were, they were terrible. Right. And, and this is while they were trying to stay in the playoff picture. The Lakers at the time were only two games above 500. And Kobe having 26 at the half, that didn't feel like anything out of the ordinary. It just felt like another scoring display in the works that was like impressive. But given the, the context of the season as a whole, whether for the Lakers or for Kobe, like it didn't necessarily feel like that big of a thing which by the way stop for a second because 26 it should be noted 26 points at halftime is a lot yes um it's a lot go ahead and, but they you know they were down by 18 at one point in the third quarter and i remember you and i some point in the third quarter both hit us at the same time i was like wait a minute is it didn't me or does Kobe like even by his standards have a lot of points yeah. in this I game? Remember, like you I remember looking up at the at the you know the jumbotron and seeing like it's like Kobe's got a lot of points. He's yeah, it's like, like oh something that's that's like, a lot. It, it's a weird thing to say, but he scored so much then that it was easy to lose track of his points because they just sort of like blended in together. They it became this it, it, you, blur of basket. You weren't. It was you were it was you know what do they call that in uh, in magician talk, um, the the prestige or whatever like you were like you were watching the wrong thing because you were watching the score of the game going they're going to lose this stupid game like the Lakers are going to lose to the Raptors and miss the playoffs and Smush Parker is going to be you know angry or whatever but like um, you know wrong era but you, you get my point like no, the, it is the correct era yeah you know, uh, but you, you, oh yeah you're right 
Um, Jesus. <laughs> Did you Dude. pay any attention while we covered this team? Clearly not. That was the whole point of the story. Um, but like, I can't remember what I did last, like, like you know, twenty minutes ago. <laughs> Let alone something that happened fifteen years ago. But, but it, what, what was my point though? is like we were all focusing on the score of the game and the significance of yeah. what would happen if the Lakers lose. But and, what was, you know, what was really great though is that they this wasn't just historic because Kobe put up the points. The Lakers needed those points to right. win the game. Like this wasn't about Kobe just putting on a clinic, even though he was, or Kobe, you know really just going after a shot, which he was like, this was in service of a win. And yes. I, I, I found an old NBA.com article um, about the game today. And it, it talked about how teammates and, and staff were asking Kobe to autograph copies of the box score. And I actually may still have my book, you know, of all the uh, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, sure. halftime yeah. total. I may still have that somewhere in the house. Um, Lawrence Tanner was telling uh, the PA announcer for the Lakers, telling fans to save their ticket stubs. Kobe also noted 81 was the first and only professional game that his grandmother ever saw him play live, which is yeah. great fortune for her. I also, I looked over the box score. Like I'd forgotten Kobe took 20 free throws in that game. What's crazy is that was not forget career high. That wasn't even a season high for Kobe. Kobe no. had 26 against the Knicks that year. It it was, you know, and I like you go back because it was it was like two weeks, two or three weeks before whatever it was, was the Dallas game where he sat in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he probably could have had 80 points in that game and Phil, but they were winning, you know, big, obviously. When you out when you outscore the other team, you know, you've got a big lead going to the fourth. He's like, and he sat down and he told Brian Shaw famously don't worry you know I'll, I'll 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 do it again it's fine okay and he did yes he did I, okay uh really quick before i, I mean, get he did he went out like two weeks later and just and blew that record out uh, but i mean when it was it wasn't until like you know you start getting to 70 you know it was really only those like last eight to 10 12 points or whatever it was of that game where you could say okay now they're feeding him now he's just mm-hmm. You know, yeah, well, they get who was it that you know? You talk about the you know Kobe's grandma and the luck of this. Like, who was it that was was supposed to be calling that game but didn't? And then Billy Mack got the call. Um, I don't remember. He was you know, Billy Mack was a substitute broadcaster, and yeah. so that game. And so he 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 is now part of that history and part. Of, young journalism students, young journalism. This is why you know when when I ever whenever anybody asks me like, what is your greatest piece of advice? Show up. It might have been Joel yeah. Myers as Roberto Jones. I think it was Joel Myers. Probably God was Joel. Right. I can't believe I skipped that game. <laughs> All the games I didn't miss. <laughs> it's pretty bad fortune. Bill, Bill McDonald. Um, took no, that's my piece of history. Bill McDonald took. Yeah. Would have actually been pretty fun to be a part of that game. You know? <laughs> we do. Yeah. Oh, we should have gotten Matt Money Smith here just for this moment. Hopefully, uh, I, I got a pretty good feeling that Zion's going to score eighty-two. So I'm just going to be waiting around for that one. Um, but uh, De- first of all, really quick before we get into the numbers, uh, this was very, very funny. We're all in the press room after that game. I mean, it's packed. Like everybody and their mother is in this press room. You know, they they obviously weren't going to do this at Kobe's locker because they wouldn't have fit everyone. So we're all waiting there. 
And all of a sudden, Devin George strolls in and sits down at the podium and is like, any questions? <laughs> Y'all waiting for me. It was very funny. But I looked over at Kobe's averages for that season. And he averaged 35 points per game, 45% from the field, almost 35% from three, 10 free throw attempts. You know, again, we'd seen a lot of scoring jags, but his January splits. I remember this. This was insane. 43.4 points per game, 47% from the field, 40% from behind the arc, 13 free throw attempts per game, nearly 90% at the line. And obviously, 81 bumped up those numbers. But <laughs> not, not as nearly as much as you'd think. Not as much. Here are Kobe's point totals leading up to 81 in the month of January. 48, 50, 45, 41, 27, 38, 37, 51, 37. Then afterwards, followed up 81 with a mere 30, uh, then got his shit together and put up 39 and 40. <laughs> like, Was that the season that he had? Which is the season where he had like five 40 point games in a row like you know remember like, I think was that, it was that season was it that year and then like I you know believe it, was. it seemed like he was slumping when he you know dropped down to uh you know 28 or whatever for a night um uh, or whatever it was but i it it is i mean in, in the words of, of our friend harrison fagan at silver screen and roll people forget kobe bryant was a bucket <laughs> You know, I, that's I was not true. Literally, nobody forgets that Kobe Bryant was a bucket. No, like it was funny. I, I in just writing out these numbers, like you realize, Brian, sometimes you take some of this stuff for granted after a while, and it clouds the way you view greatness. Like, not that we didn't recognize that this was greatness or that you know what Kobe was doing was amazing, you know, but like. At the same time, you you grow numb to it on a certain level. Like when, yeah. to and like with and, and, and not to cut you, but like and with Kobe, particularly at that moment, there was always two or three other things that were part of the conversation when yes. you had that one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, both of us, you know, at times would point out the the issues Kobe would have in terms of involving teammates or trust building things like that. Things that I don't think we were wrong about. Not that you know, by the way. I left it alone that night. <laughs> but no, no. <laughs> but, not on 81. No, not on 81. Absolutely not. We I, I remember actually seeing uh a few blog comments or you know, hearing people on radio talking about you know, well, you know, we had a couple cysts. You only like shut up. Shut up. Seriously. Well, it was like after shut 60, up. you know, after 60 in the uh, you know, in, in his final game, all the people pointing out, and some of these people are I, I consider friends, um, you know, the yeah. You know, oh my God. You know, it was, they were Utah. Yeah, you know, they were feeding the ball. Utah wasn't playing. Teams. Shut up. <laughs> like this is why we can't have nice things. He's 127 years old. It's the last game that he's ever played. Um, you know, he he looked terrible at the beginning of the game. He looked like, he was, like this was going to be embarrassing, and he puts up 60 points. Shut up. Yeah. Enjoy it. Like who cares if it was theater? If it was WWE and scripted, he still had to hit the shots. Yeah. Like. Leave him alone empty on a gym. When with the magnetic ball. three pointers, shut up. Enjoy. Oh. This is why we can't have nice things. But like you, it takes on an air of normalcy yes. when you're watching this. And even when you're aware that it's not normal, like it's just, it's human nature. And like in 2006, neither one of us had an MVP vote. 
neither one of us still do for that matter. But I remember I wrote it. That's not, I was about to say, that is not exclusive to 2006. That's, that is something that's happened every year ever. Yeah, it is exclusive. (laughs) It is exclusive till the end of time. Right. That Um, that wasn't a new thing. But like, I remember I, I wrote a piece for the LA Times about how if I had had an MVP vote, Kobe would have been number two for me. Even though I wrote and said this, he is a perfectly legitimate, great candidate for number one. I'm not going to argue with anybody if they say Kobe should win it. And I even said I debate I debated Kobe pretty heavily. In the end, I ended up choosing Elton Brand. And my reason was he felt more singular to me as a two-way big man playing the way he did on a very good team at a really high level. And Elton Brand was, he was really, good really, really good that year. And there were so many more guards or wings performing at a high level than fours and five. Like it made Elton Brand feel more value to me in terms of rarity. And I wasn't trying to be like a contrarian. This was just how I decided it. And then looking back on it, honestly, I just, I overthought it. Kobe was the obvious choice. I mean, he really was. I like, and that it, it happens. I think where you, it wasn't like you know one of the there, there were people. It wasn't haterade. It's just you're looking. Oh. You're trying to okay. Well, you're you're, and it's not even contrarianism in the sense of like everybody is zigging. I'm going to zag because that's what I do. It's like you you want to think about these things. I mean, you know, is there something that I'm missing? And uh, but you're right. Sometimes in hindsight, it's just like no, nah, that was no, that was well, an easy okay. one. The Roberto join, uh, Jones points this out in the chat, and this this is actually the bigger outrage. Kobe was only fourth in MVP voting that year. Not only that, there were some people that left Kobe off their ballot. That's like you should lose your privileges for that because either you're not taking this seriously, you did not watch any games, or you just personally dislike Kobe to the point where you can't do your job. Like if you want to say that year that you thought Elton Brand or Steve Nash, Dwayne Wade, whoever was better than Iverson better that year. Okay. I mean, like that's, that's fine. You cannot make an argument that Kobe was not one of the top five most valuable players that season. Like you can't even Andy Cameron, that's even noted Kobe Bryant hater, Andy Cameron. That's well, I, actually, I, wrote, I actually wrote a piece about that. Uh, when the voting came out, I was like, the hell people <laughs> like, I mean, are you kidding me? This is one of the, it's, it, it's, it's always funny. Like I, I refuse and you're the same way. Like I, we don't like, I don't like list radio. I don't like, you know, whatever, but like I, I flat refuse to get into arguments. People who say, you know, you're disrespecting Kobe, you're disrespecting whoever it might be when you put him fifth or eighth or whatever, instead of seventh or fourth or third, like, the, the the amount of people who have played this game, it, it is you know it is impossible sort of definitionally to re- disrespect somebody by calling them the ninth best player of all time. Like you could be wrong, but it's not really it, like you know you drop Jordan to tenth. Okay, I get it, but you know Kobe isn't quite in that space, and I don't think most people would agree, you know would disagree with that. So if I think he's eighth and you think he's fifth, like that's not disrespect. Leaving him off the ballot's disrespectful. <laughs> like just flat out not. If you put Kobe twenty fourth, twenty eighth, like that's dis that's genuinely disrespectful of the guy's legacy. So it's like you know, uh, but yeah, sometimes it just gets too complicated, and we get too involved in these standards of 
best player on the best team or like Kobe's team didn't win enough or whatever it might be. I remember when Matt Kemp didn't beat Ryan Braun, steroid, steroid cheating Ryan Braun, as it turned out, for MVP that year. One of the things that people always asked was, well, what did he do to help his team win? And I always kept saying, well, all that stuff, <laughs> like the, the 40 home runs, and the, all the shit that, that all the shit that uh, resulted in him getting second. Right. Like, like all the, you know, the 40 home runs and this and that. And, you know, in, in baseball, it's like you're even much at an even greater disadvantage. It's like, it's not like Matt Kemp was offered the opportunity to have three extra at bats every game and declined. He's like, no, I'm good. They're fine. I don't, I'm not doing that. And so, you know, you go back and you ask, well, what did Kobe do to help his team win or make them better? Well, what, what were the numbers, Andy? 35 <laughs> points a game, like that, to begin. Um, I mean, that's, that's a start. I mean, who, who else was on that team? Uh, Lamar Odom, who played yeah, he well. was good. Uh, Smush Parker, Kwame Brown, <laughs> Luke Walton. Uh, that's not Devin a good basketball. George, Devin George, Sasha Vujicic, uh, Chris Mim, uh, briefly Jim Jackson. It's uh, not a good team. I don't think Brian Cook. I I don't think I'm leaving out anybody. Anybody that you look at and say, well, Kobe had that guy to help him. Tony Bobbitt. Uh, Tony Bobbitt. I think was the year before. I think. Uh, Roney. Roney was on the team. Oh, and that was his rookie year. Our boy Von Wafer was on that team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's, not, Bynum, it's, not a, it's not a stellar group. Bynum, Devin Green, like not a stellar no. group. It, it was not a good team. The, and, yeah. you know, I, and this is, and it's basketball is hard because it is legitimately, it is, it is a legitimate thing to sort of, put up empty numbers. The empty numbers thing in basketball is, is real. Like on a, on a crappy team, someone is going to get enough shots to get to average 20 points a game. Like that's just how the world works. Um, but you know, that doesn't, you know, but at some point you have to put that away. Um, and, and just be like, what the hell else was the guy supposed to do? And just acknowledge singularity and achievement that even if it's not tied to the team is sort of so overwhelming that it, it should count for something. Bas I get it. Basketball is hard. We have certain standards or whatever, but um, in hindsight, it feels like a miss. It's probably, yeah. it was probably your non-voting, um, but still very influential opinion making about Elton Brand that, that kept Kobe from winning. Probably yes. My my non-vote is what what this was my fault. It was, um, but yeah. I mean, it just again, it was one of those things where it wasn't trying to be contrarian, wasn't trying to make it seem like it wasn't a Laker homer or too close to it. Wasn't trying to keep Kobe from it. I think I just overthought it. I think I just I and again, Elton Brand was really really good that year. Looking back on it, and it didn't even take me that long to realize that the obvious choice was Kobe, and you know, overthought it. He, he should have won that year, you know, but you, it's a reminder just thinking about 81 and thinking about that season and thinking, I, I remember I wrote a piece. Um, it's my favorite piece that I ever wrote about Kobe and I wrote it um, a piece. It wasn't a story. It was a piece. Yeah. Um, after he won the fifth championship about how there was so much time that had been devoted scrutinizing Kobe's career 
you know, whether scrutinizing him versus MJ, scrutinizing him versus Magic, LeBron, all the comparison games, you were spending so much time scrutinizing it that you risked missing the damn thing and like missing everything that it signified. Yes. And, you know, it reminded me of that line in uh, Ferris Bueller, you know, life moves pretty quickly. If you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you're going to miss it. And that's how I felt about Kobe's career after that fifth championship. Like just sometimes you just got to watch what's in front of you and drink it in. I'm at a point in my career uh, where like I, we talked, I think maybe we mentioned this last night with Grant. It was early in the week. I forget what it was, but like I am, I am over rooting for not rooting for, but like, you know, that, that part of you that, that wants to see the train wreck, the part of it, because, because it's easy, like it, it creates content, you know, badness, conflict, failure. These are things that, that create content in ways that quite frankly, often achievement doesn't. And one of my favorite things about last year's title for the Lakers was, was that it was, a, it was Anthony Davis who arrived in LA wanted the sort of heat that comes with playing with the Lakers and wanted and wanted to be held to a standard that comes with, you know, being the guy who helps lead the Lakers to a championship and all that gets to the playoffs and actually not only meets expectations, but in some ways maybe even exceeds them. He rises to this occasion and help and, and, you know, helps the Lakers win a title. Like that's a great story. Like that, that is to me, I mean, like, would there have been interesting content to write had Davis flamed out in the playoffs? Absolutely. Would it have made the beginning of this season more interesting in some ways? No question. Like, you know, is you know, I, I get it, but I don't want to see that. I I, I don't I, I want to see Anthony Davis succeed. I want to see Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray just throw haymakers at each other of greatness. Like, Oh, I want when these guys, I want all of the stars to play well in the postseason. I want a Kershaw to pitch. Well, I want all these guys, even though the Kershaw story, like that picture of him in Washington, it's, it's incredibly compelling content, you know, yeah. so to speak, but I, I don't want that. <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. Speaking of the idea yes, of I'm a, I'm a, that is exactly what I'm saying. You you are the anti-skip Bayless. I am um, not, I'm not here for that. Speaking of uh wanting to see greatness on the basketball court and wanting to appreciate what we see, uh let's say we talk a little bit about Shaq and Spider Man. Hold on one second. I mean, I'm I, I'm really wearing out the share screen button tonight. Um this show has gotten very high tech. Um, so if you missed it last night, Donovan Mitchell goes off, I believe, for 36 uh, for yes. the Jazz, who are playing incredibly well. And uh, after this was the TNT game, and after that, he and th- this was one of the debates they had. Uh, it was either post game or at halftime was whether or not Donovan Mitchell was a a superstar or an all star. <laughs> like nobody was saying he's not good, but there is a difference. I think I think most people understand the difference between superstar and all star. I mean, and Sure. They they went through the whole thing and Shaq said no. They all kind of agreed the answer was no. Um I don't but care what the answer is, but continue. Right. But it's it's important, but this is it frames why. No, wise, no, no. You're setting the context. You're setting the context, and the context right. matters. I'm just saying, Jesus Christ, that context in and of itself is setting up for stupidity. But continue. 
I get it. It's it, it, I, that that conversation didn't bother me. So this is the post game though. After Donovan Mitchell leads the Jazz to a big win against a good team, um, and shows up to do his post game TNT interview, this is how it went. Part of it's a shack. I I said tonight that uh, you are one of my favorite players, but you don't have what it takes to get to the next level. I said it on purpose. I want you to hear it. What do you have to say about that? All right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. That's it. Okay, cool. I, I mean, I you I, I, I've been here. Well, actually, I've been hearing that since my rookie year. You know, I'm just gonna get okay, better well, and do what I do. Good. At the end well, of the day, you. that's what I wanted you to hear you say. Yes, Love sir. your game, brother. Keep it up. Appreciate it. Yeah, I think you know, in spite of what I'll candy conversation, you guys are one of the top five players. You obviously couldn't see you playing playing the game. You know, you guys are one of the top five teams in the in the, in the league. Uh, do we? I think that's the gist of it. Because, you know, because it's funny, Kenny, Kenny Smith earlier had laid out, like, here are the things I think superstars do. And they, you know, they do four of these six things and they do it every night. Four things on that list. He's like, I think he only does two or three of those things. He's not quite there. Shaq just comes back with this shit. What was your, I, I, I saw this and I was just like, come on. (laughs) I mean, look, there's. In a vacuum, those comments to Donovan Mitchell could have been with purpose, if not necessarily executed the best way possible, like in terms of the idea of you need to take your game to another level. I am, and Shaq is unquestionably, an all-time great. These are the things that I am looking for from you as an all-time great. What? Shaquille O'Neal, all-time great, hot take three. So, so, you know, I have the the gravitas and authority to say this. But the way it's delivered, A, it sounded like he was really trying to get a reaction from Donovan Mitchell. Like he was really just most importantly going after the reaction. And he seemed to lose interest in the whole thing once he didn't get the reaction. But, you know, the way he what phrased he, Real quick there, like what do you think he thought Donovan Mitchell was going to do there? I don't like, know, but I, not, I mean, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I don't think he thought it was going to be a shrug. Like, I don't think he actually thought... He wasn't playing on I <laughs> Just, yeah. I, I I think he was looking for more of a reaction of right. some type, something more demonstrative in any direction than what he got. But what he was doing was, to some degree, putting down Donovan Mitchell for not being enough of a well-rounded player to be considered a star. Or, you know, not, I think, loosely translated, focusing on enough that isn't scoring. Which, okay, maybe you can make that point. But the problem is, just a couple weeks before that, he was crapping on Rudy Gobert for the extension that he just got. And he said, you average 11 points in the NBA, you can get 200 million. This should be inspiration to all the little kids out there. A, that's Gobert's career averages. He was coming off a season where he had averaged 15 points on just eight field goal attempts, also 13 and a half rebounds, which Shaq conveniently left out. He also left out the two Defensive Player of the Year awards, the four all-defense teams, three all-NBAs. And a great nickname. Right. <laughs> it is a great nickname. You can't, you can't say that Donovan Mitchell needs to be concerned about all the aspects of the game then turn around and crap on Gobert that essentially he's not averaging enough points and not focusing enough on scoring. Like at some point, you're just crapping on dudes for the sake of it. And Shaq just really enjoys punching down. 
Uh, like it's just it's just his thing or creating parameters where he can punch down. It's just something that he seems to enjoy and has for a long time. And you know what what this has become, and you know I I I didn't watch that going because there's a there's been a long running NBA Twitter debate about um, the broadcast teams and whether or not the NBA has the right people. You know the people get really annoyed by the, the some some of the stuff that goes on the inside the NBA crew on TNT, who are it should be noted wildly popular. That show is still extremely extremely popular. Um, or the lead broadcast team for ESPN with like Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, and as to whether or not they spend too much time criticizing the on-court product, basically, you know, this isn't the right way to play basketball, um, which is not necessarily the best way to sell the product to people who are watching. Um, <laughs> it's, I, it's zigging when most people would zag. It's not, it's not how I would do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... it's like I didn't see this Shaq moment as that. I saw it much more like you. You kind of saw it where it's like this is Shaq being Shaq and punching down at a guy more than like the NBA crapping on its product. And but like this just sort of this like pseudo like puppet master moment where I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be the guy who motivates. Um, Donovan, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell and turns him into the superstar they're supposed to be. I don't necessarily think he was doing that with Dwight. I think he was like, I think he was just fucking with him because he knew he could. Um, but you know, like but like he ruined he ruined that season for the Lakers when he told uh, Dwight Howard that real centers don't do pick and rolls. They post up, and he knew that Dwight would listen to him, and he basically fucked the Lakers that year. But I have I have never heard Steve Nash, who is I mean, he has a reputation deservedly as you know, the poster boy for consummate teammates. Like, yes. you know, it is hard to find people who criticize their time with Steve Nash as a teammate because he just did a bad job at it. Like, you're, you're not going to find a lot Those, of people. By a lot, I mean, anybody. No. Hearing Steve Nash say in so many words, we have no idea why the guy won't run pick and roll, and it's frustrating the shit out of us. I, like, I, I, there are a lot of that reasons. Was striking, yeah. There are a lot of reasons to criticize Jim Buss, but the the idea of we'll take maybe the greatest pick and roll point guard of all time and pair him with statistically like the best role player in the NBA, role guy in the NBA. Let's put those guys together. That'll work. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him for that. No, um, it was talking to everybody. So. Um, but like, I, 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 it turned into this thing about, about sort of NBA, the way the NBA covers itself and some of these, I, it's weird. Cause I didn't see it like that, but it is, it is, there is, I, I do think there is too much negativity. Like, you, you know, it, we, I just finished talking about how, like, I, I don't want to say I, I want to celebrate achievement. I like we've had a, it's been a bad year. You call this like I want, I want to celebrate thing. Donovan Mitchell scored thirty six points in that game. He's playing incredibly well, and he's leading, you know, a Utah team towards the top of the conference. It, that's okay. You can have that conversation and still be like, you know, hey, we were talking about it before. We think there are parts of your game that still need to be rounded out where you do this every night, you know, five out of six, whatever it is to break into that elite level. Asking, of where where do you think you right, still where do you put yourself? Whatever, where you can make your point, 
but you don't, he, he turned, he made basically made the interview about himself. Yeah, absolutely. Like your Mitchell. job at that point. Donovan Mitchell actually said after the game that he didn't like that the narrative afterward through no fault of his own became about him and him feuding in finger quotes with Shaq as opposed to the way the Jazz are playing right now. It was, it was interesting. There was a post on Instagram and Twitter by a guy Cuffs the Legend who is a he's a friend of LeBron's and it showed a picture of uh, MJ with Kobe like early on, you know, it's it's them at the free throw line, you know, standing next to each other before you might get the rebound. It's it's a classic photo. And Cuffs wrote, "Why are young players so sensitive when the OG legends give them constructive criticism?" When did the respect level change? And both Durant and LeBron chimed in uh, in the comments section. And Durant wrote, them old heads need to enjoy retirement. These boys have coaches they work with every day, LOL. And LeBron added, there's a difference between constructive criticism and soft hating, though. I've seen it both ways come my way, mostly the hate. You can hear it in their delivery. Like, first of all, soft hating is a great phrase. <laughs> that is fantastic. Kudos to LeBron for that one. But like, I will say this as somebody who has said before that Durant can be way too consumed with what's being said about him online. He has got too big of a rabbit ears for his own good at times. But I actually agree with him here. Like at the most base level, like sometimes it really does feel like they, these older guys should just retire and kick back because it doesn't feel like they enjoy the act of selling the product of basketball, like like their purpose for being there. Like it's sometimes it just doesn't seem like yeah, I, that's I the discernible you know, you, thing you, you would be doing. You, you were joking before, like the, the just the, the construct of the conversation is Donovan Mitchell an all-star or a truly elite player and like in and of itself is kind of dumb. It is and it isn't. Like I get it. I get what you're saying. Like some of these distinctions can be kind of fine and stupid. But it does matter for whether or not Utah can really be a real title contender. Like, sure, there's a difference between Donovan Mitchell being the yes. you know ten to fifteen versus five to ten. You are absolutely um, correct. And so, like in that context, it's an, it's a, in, and you're only having that conversation because you see, like, well, is he or isn't he? Like, is he close? Is it? You know, because you know that and that matter, it matters for the Clippers whether or not Paul George is the almost MVP guy. Or the guy playoff, no, no doubt. The the so, level of play, the level of play matters. I'm what I'm more saying is the description that you use for the level of play is irrelevant. The actual level of play matters. Yeah, but, 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 you know, but that's but it's an easy shorthand. All star sure. versus you know first team NBA versus third team. Like they're all good players, but there's a difference. Sure. And so you know, I, I get it. It, I, it is. It is, I, I wish, I just, I wish like Hank Aaron was, um, that more guys were kind of gracious about the young people, um, that, that, that come and do this because and not all of them, some of them deserve criticism and it's, you know, sometimes criticism is constructive and you want guys to be honest when they're broadcasting and not be cheerleaders either. Like there is a, the, yeah. I mean, another side of that. That was um, Chick Hearn's whole thing. Yeah, but again, go back if you if you have a chance. I don't know if you can find these things, but like you know, Kenny Smith, who was not a star, and I think that as people pointed out in the chat, that does kind of color the 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 way that these guys do analysis. Um, framed it in a way that was like, yeah, that was 
construct. That was a guy answering questions and being honest and saying why. Shaq was just being Shaq and making it about himself. Um, all right. So fun shows coming up next week. Uh, Law Murray, the brand new beat writer for the Clippers over at The Athletic, is going to join us on Monday. Ben Taylor, who has, uh, we'll, we'll tweet this stuff out over the course of the week, has a fantastic series. Um, LG, what is his? It's LG something on uh, LG 35. LG 35. ELG 35. On Twitter, you can find this stuff in his his uh, thinking basketball page. Um, just really cool series on peaks, like the Kobe at his peak, Bird at his peak, Magic at his peak. Who was the best? Like at at different things, it is fascinating stuff. If you're a basketball fan, it's just a, a good guy uh, to talk to. We'll have him on Tuesday, Wednesday night's gonna be a really fun show. Uh, Steve Falk and Chris Gear from You're the Worst, a uh, great great show on FX, one of the funniest shows that's been on TV in a while they got a big charity thing coming up we're going to talk about that and the show and all kinds of stuff uh thursday is still tbd and then friday uh 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 is oh it's nikaius duncan yes um from uh basketball, basketball. News. great great young writer um he's going to join us on friday so big week for hoops uh big week for entertainment big week for the late night half hour Andy. yeah so absolutely everybody Yep. Uh, make sure you're subscribing everywhere that you can find this show. Make sure you are subscribing to the Land of Lakers podcast as well. See everyone soon. Donkey Needle on.